eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is for the passionate Seahawks fans. The ones who care about scheme more than hot takes. The, the, the ones who want X's and O's and not talking heads. From the eye in the sky. This is Seattle Overload. It's Seattle Overload. With your hosts, Matty F. Brown, Griffin Sturgeon, and Ty Dane Gonzalez. Let's go! Welcome to the Seattle Overload podcast, where Griffin and I are diving into the news that the Seattle Seahawks have re-signed Bobby Wagner. Now, obviously, he had a year out with the Los Angeles Rams, but he was a free agent after the Rams released him. And so Wagner is reunited with Seattle. We have come under attack for, for uh, <laughs> some of our views on this. I think we're calling it how we see it. I don't think we... Like, we certainly don't hate Bobby Wagner. We love him. He's a legend. But Griff, the deal... In the inside linebacker room, Bobby Wagner being 33 years old, the deal being reported as initially $7 million, it's now up to $7 million, it's a one-year contract. How do you feel about this? Um, I don't know. I don't. I different angles to approach it from. I think that based off of who's available at, at this point at, or at the point that he signed in the free agency, he's probably he's probably the best remaining linebacker um it, it is a little weird to me to spend i guess it's up to seven million so not a legit seven million but what could be a combined 10 million dollars on external linebackers when you know bush you don't really know what his floor is at all i mean let alone his ceiling and then you know with bobby it's just he is what he is at this point. He has some, you know, some qualities, right. That you can, you can use correctly, but it does make you have to uh, do certain things schematically that we'll get into that can kind of hamper your scheme potentially. Um, and you know, it's, it's a controversial opinion, but it, we, we both, we liked what Cody Barton could do, especially in coverage. So it just seems like a weird, you know, trade-off like opportunity cost here. Um, and then I also think about how, you know, if Cody if Cody signed for three and a half million, 
and Bush signed for three. And then you go sign a Bobby additionally, and then you go sign uh, Jordan, Jaron Reed for $3 million. I mean, they spent potentially $13 million on players that don't feel like they got better at any of the positions. And had they just kept one of the line, signed one linebacker instead of two and signed the better one, they could have then used that extra money to, instead of signing Jaron Reed, make it really easy to bring back Puna Ford and or bring back Shelby Harris for one year even, which is the same theory behind the Reed pick because Shelby Harris is certainly, certainly a better player than Jaron Reed right now. Um, he's probably looking at five, six million. So I would I would happily pay Shelby Harris double what Jaron Reed's getting if you're trying to squeeze money. So it just feels like really weird allocation of the remaining cap resources after the fairly big after the big splurge in Draymond and then the fairly big splurge in, in um Julian Love. Both both moves that I like a lot, but it just feels odd the the whole thing packaged together. But um you know, I'm choosing to embrace what they did, and I'm curious to see what they do. John Schneider's comments kind of assuaged some well, fear. Maybe fears is a little too melodramatic, but they kind of show the awareness they have of his play right now, and, and they want to use him accordingly. So I'm a little calmed down, you could say. But, uh, yeah, what, what was what was your gut reaction? What did you think? Well, we're quite dull on this podcast, aren't we? Because we often are similarly aligned in our views. And when Wagner was released in 2021, well, was he wasn't aside ready. from like who the best Aries is, but beyond that, yeah, that's a massive divisive debate. But no, Wagner wasn't released in 2021, was he? No, he was. Yeah, they yeah, him. yeah. When that happened, we saw the writing on the wall. Not just because of the, you know, he was going to have a high cap figure, but like his legs had gone burst wise, agility wise, his ability to change direction that had disappeared. And so it, with Jordan Brooks ascending, being a very good mover and kind of in that uh, mic build, if, if you like, it was the obvious thing to do. Wagner hasn't got any quicker and he hasn't got any more agile. And if you go to like the Rams tape, there's the same issues the Rams had to kind of scheme around that. There's multiple clips that we've both posted of, of the Rams sort of having to compensate for that. Bizarrely, the, the Rams run now the same kind of coverage system as what Seattle's moved towards. And that does suit Wagner better than the old system of the old cover three, where it was like the stemming from like when Gus Bradley was, was the coach mm -hmm. in the, it doesn't, it doesn't task them with dropping to a spot and then matching various issues so much they're they're kind of more matching up on the three receiver um and they're able to hug the check down more and both seems a match so the linebackers often covering just less space but wagner's movement ability is is still going to be a thing which you'll notice and he kind of it, you you referred to schneider's comments about him not being playing a thousand snaps and how as Schneider said at the owners' meeting, how Pete Carroll and Clint Hurt have a cool plan for Bobby Wagner. It will be interesting. It, it kind of seems like he's going to be a, a downhill kind of thumper in base, and he he's still like very good at recognizing plays, recognizing blocking sc schemes, playing north south. Mm -hmm. But like, still, like the wide zone runs still exist, outside zone runs you know, still exist. And there are still issues with him having to flow outside. Like it, it takes him a while. If he reads the play wrong or it's like a counter scheme or whatever, 
then that redirection, he's just slow and late to it. So he sort of has to speed everything up. This is all stuff we said in 2021 and we all saw in 2021. So, and then maybe in like the third down situations, Jamal Adams' return is going to be, you know, it's not a certain thing. We'll talk about that later. But Wagner does offer the ability to be an excellent blitz down at the line of scrimmage. Perhaps they could use him as like a... Uh, spinner, say they they try out three defensive linemen in clear passing situations, five tech head up nose tack on a five tech, and then Wagner kind of floating around off the ball. Maybe he'll rush, maybe he'll play the back. But it's, it's again that situation where you you can hug rush him in a an overload front. You have a, a one tech, a five tech, and a, a nine tech away, and a and a nine tech to the other side with Wagner mugging the open B gap. And then he rushes the back basically. And that basically keeps the back in. Um, you should know what an overload line is. Cause it's our, it's literally the podcast name and the podcast drawing anyway. So that there's, there's clearly like a way to use him. It's just that with the comments that Schneider made throughout the off season, it was really, uh, I was actually surprised that they ended up doing this now. Maybe I shouldn't have been, cause it was their only option, but like, when Cody Barton only got $3.5 million and was perfectly fine, it, it's kind of up to $7 million is, uh, and then $3 million on, on Devin Bush. It's like, well, man, that's kind of, I, I and I got pelters, absolute pelters on Twitter for saying you should have paid Cody Barton $5 million, but he brings more, more coverage ability than, than Wagner has at this stage. And I, we both believe he's much better against the run than people give credit for. Uh, last year was obviously a complete mess. So that, there's lot, there's lots of different th- uh, with the defensive line, but there's like lots of different things going on here. And I yeah. think focusing on 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 Wagner moving forward, like he, you know, he'll he'll be he'll be fine. But uh, and and his coverage, like his zone drops, are still pretty good. He just has to kind I of. Mean- he just gets beat at cut points when he, if he's tight to someone and he they break across his face, he's often caught of overstepping or caught out slightly out of phase at the cut. But like you know, he's still a very intelligent player. He knows what he knows football. It's just he, you know, you can't you can't do what they did last year where you had Jordan Brooks match uh, uh, three receiver or a receiver into the high hole and, and Wagner be the and sorry Barton be the. Uh, on the cover two side, the wall defender and carry the tight end down the seam. Um, yeah, you can't you can't have both linebackers be good at the coverage. Obviously, the you know, uh, Which, I, no, go ahead. Go the, ahead well, obviously, finish. the Devin Bush deal was actually like not three million dollars. It will be like probably they'll pay him like one million dollars this season. Oh. And like you need in a three four, like with Seattle moving to a three four personnel, you need to get different types of special teamers, and often that can be some of the outside linebackers, but also like you, you need inside linebackers and maybe Bush pans out, but it's kind of like a, a, uh, it's almost like a better version of what Muse was last year. I think in their eyes, like they, they know what Muse is like, maybe Muse will return eventually. He was very present on special teams for Seattle, but Bush is, is kind of like, Oh, maybe we'll see what he can do at linebacker. Maybe he can offer a bit more than Muse did at linebacker and also play specials. But, uh, yeah, the the Wagner stuff is just like you know, so, he, he, it's so obvious that he he just doesn't have 
have it anymore uh, in terms yeah. of like his ability to to cover uh, and, and and in certain ways. And so it limits what you have on your plate, your your repertoire, uh, your your versatility. Um, you really have to sort of scheme for him and and sort of scheme around him, uh, and that you know that's that's fine. It's just it just. Uh, is just not as good as it could be um and yeah. he is a stopgap right now and and the the linebacker move uh market clearly ex- went off in free agency much quicker than schneider uh thought it would like he he even said as much in his radio show like he didn't expect yeah. all these guys to fly off the fly off the uh the table early they took early deals obviously free agents can choose have the freedom to choose where they land and Barton landed in a really good spot for him to prove it with an okay financial reward uh, and being the the green dot the mic which in a 4-3 um right um i feel like uh the way his contract is written the only way he earns those incentives is if Brooks isn't able to basically tether to playing time. And the only way he would get that playing time is if Brooks isn't able to go and they need like an emergency mic the first couple of weeks or maybe even month of the season. So um, it's it might just be like a built-in contingency. Um, but yeah, like let, let's, let's talk about how we think, like John Schneider said, there's a plan. Let's talk about what that plan actually is and just go like package by package. So yeah, when you're in three, four base, Let's just, for the sake of discussion, assume Brooks is playing. He's the Will in 3-4, right? Bobby will be playing Will in 3-4. When they go to their penny package or, you know, Falcon of old, uh, the 5-1-5, he's off the field. Um, and then the 2-4-5, say on early downs, like mixed tendency, where it's like could be run or pass, like it's not clear-cut pass all the way indication. So like say you know, maybe first and 10 under center or then second and four as opposed to second and eight, third and seven, first and 15, right? He might he might play the will there a little bit, but then you're probably limited to only playing cover three, which is fine because they're a pretty good cover three team to take pressure off because he'd be a hook defender. You can't play a too high coverage there as a will because then you don't want him being in the overhang and the whole point is you want to be able to have that guy be weaponized a little bit so that might be where like where big big nickel comes in where you have an actual safety just inserted as the weak side linebacker um yeah or even even bush like in theory or or bush probably do that yeah bush probably filters it now if if there are positions where he has to he's just relegated to being a quarter flat defender like you said limited to what you can do in coverage that means basically they have to play quarters to that side or he could play a spot drop cover two curl drop but when they play cover two to the weak side to two receivers, it's usually because they want double coverage up the seam. They want a guy matching that route. So I don't, I think they would only cloud like a number one receiver if they didn't like the matchup or something. So, but he's probably just going to be relegated to either being like a hook defender in cover three or a flat defender in quarters most often. And that limits, like you're saying, what they could do. So in the mixed down situations is probably their big nickel or bush, like you said, um, and then, of course, like the two, four, five package on second and eight plus or second and seven plus, whatever, he's probably off the field. But then when you get into the second and super long, third and long, he might be part of some interesting blitz pressure looks, right? Where maybe even if it's like a four man rush still, he could still be part of that with like a, 
you know, a, a two, a, a two, three, six look or something, you know, you could play around with it. Right. Um, or even, um, even a, a three, two, seven or whatever. Can I do math? Six. No, I can't. A three. Yeah. Yeah. Three, two, six. Um, so I, they could play around with it and I could probably total up to about, it might total up to about 400, 500 snaps. Um, yeah, so but, sort of on that point, Carol at the owners meeting when asked about like what what the system looks like with Wagner returning, we first said he needs to come in to compete and battle his tail off uh, and he's obviously going to add his leadership as well. But he also said how we're a little bit different. We've added some stuff that I think will really fit. The fact he was in a system that was similar will help the process in that transition. There's nothing that we can't handle at all. I'm excited for Bobby to do the stuff that we're doing now how we've kind of tweaked it and cleaned it up and all that. He'll add to it because of our background also, because we're doing some of everything. It will be a really cool process to watch how that goes. So some of everything, you know, that refers to, you know, the old system, like 2019, 2020, maybe that's a hook dropping cover three. I, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but like they're, they're cl clearly attempting this kind of ambitious blend of what worked in the past, what, they tried to do in in you know 2022 and then trying to fix the 2022 well, issues with a bit of the old and maybe some new ideas uh, some new evolution in in the coverage system to me to me so last year the one thing that was a resounding success last year was the way they played well forget about what the tape says just statistically they were a very good cover 3 team in fact when they rushed four, so meaning not blitzing, they were the single best cover three team in the NFL last year um, by by EPA. And that's even if you remove turnovers, they're still like fourth. So it's not just those three goal and interceptions inflating it. They were really good last year in cover three. So I don't think Carl Scott would feel inclined now that Sean Desai is gone. Carl Scott's kind of like his de facto replacement. I don't feel like he'd be inclined to want to switch up the way they play cover three and, and maybe Pete doesn't either. But the way I interpret Pete's words about kind of going back to what looked in the past, to me, that's just. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Applying the same packages, just at different rates, which is basically because what Ken Norton Jr. did was essentially working out of the same concepts that they did this past year, it's just how much of X, Y, and Z. It's not what the X, Y, and Z is. Mm -hmm. It's just how much of each, right? So I feel like it really starts with just applying their packages a little bit more soundly in the right situations. And then, you know, spice it up here and there within each package, have different complementary calls. Like we talked about, we want to see more fire zones um, to help kind of scheme away weak spots of certain fronts. Um, against certain runs and then making sure that even though if it's fixing the run, it still has to be tethered to how you defend the play action concept that will be paired with a lot of runs you see. So hopefully it's just getting back to what worked in 2021, but with, you know, slightly spiced up way of playing cover three with, 
you know, really exciting back end talent with your, you know, your your young secondary and then this the depth of safety and then getting better pass rushers and theoretically, theoretically put all those ingredients to the oven. A really nice cake should um come out the other end. How about that? I didn't even mean to I didn't even, I didn't even mean to make a, a metaphor, but I mean you started it with your with your it, pasta. A cake coming it. out the other end is that's that sounds like it's a sausage. Oh. Yeah, you're right. I don't know because th there's only there's only one access point for an oven, so I don't know why I said the other end. Maybe the other end in the metaphorical sense, like in time. Yeah, or it's know? like a it's like a two sided oven. Like there's a maybe you know the, you've got a whole station here where one person puts the the unbaked cake in, and then on the other side there's the, the you know the icing department who take oh, the cake like out, let it rest on the the rack, and then and then ice it up. But like a conveyor belt thing. Like a, like, a, a cake factory? Damn. Yeah, it's a cake factory. It's full-on assembly. We're talking like a team of like 50 sure. plus. Oh, yeah, I time. imagine. I mean, you they the uh, you know the, um, the cake industry world pumps out a lot of cakes every day. Yeah, they're just full of cake. Yeah, yeah. And but... do you think that there are pasta and cabbage factories as well? No. Oh, really? You, they definitely don't make pasta in a factory. It's made by hand, you know. That's definitely not true. America, everything is made in a factory here. Ah, there you go. Right. So that's Bobby Wagner's edition addressed. I think, you know, it's nice that he gets to presumably finish his career in Seattle. Spooky that it's his 12th season. The, we should probably talk about, you know, he wasn't all pro last year. We wouldn't probably agree with with that, would we from PFF? So, uh, and, so and, uh, and also the all pro voting is obviously not PFF, but PFF had him graded as their number one linebacker. There appears to be a bit of a relationship, you could say, with certain positions and PFF grades, and then Pro Bowl all pro voting. The, the there there is something there because obviously, like we, we've said everything we've said about PFF, and, and even PFF doesn't doesn't. Um, advertise their grades as the only way to go about viewing a player the, mm -hmm. but so like you know you got people on twitter like us and other people saying you know bobby really isn't as good as his pff grade but then you look at his pff pff grade and he's like the number one ranked linebacker in the league last year so how is where's the disconnect well i i think the, the there's something that we can take from this um and and this is under the premise that his pff grade says accurate they're only you know they're only grading what he's asked to do yeah and now we it's results not necessarily usage right now we believe sometimes that even despite that that we could think that they're grading it wrong but mm -hmm. even so so they're only grading what he's asked to do and when we watch him on tape what he's asked to do overall like overall all-encompassing is fairly low value compared to other linebackers that you consider elite compared to what he used to do what made him you know hall of fame linebacker right and then further, for and, and what that is in coverage, they have him basically just hugging the running back. Even if he's playing a middle hook, he doesn't really cap his zones often. It's only like in clear, like X and long situations does he really gain depth, like you talked about. And he can, he knows where the landmarks are. Like he's a smart player. But, you know, in mixed down situations, early downs, he's just hugging the running back. It's very low, low strain. 
and it allows him also to be more aggressive against the run. And then sure, he's he's making plays inside the box against the run, not a lot of things outside the numbers. But so then, the, so it's basically low difficulty. And but the 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 point there is that he can execute what his athleticism still allows him to execute at a high level. So that's something, and that's why he talked about the use. What we talked about. The usage will be really important, and if they make it so that they put him only in his spots without it hurting the scheme, he can create negative plays for the offense. Still, like that's something to look forward to. Additionally, though, um, someone uh, who works for PFF—I forgot their name—I feel bad, but he he released the charts of of um, line, free agent linebackers grades over expectation, meaning what is the average grade based on each snaps responsibility um basically it's trying to control for assignment difficulty and he ranked below average now that's still a little funky to me because how do you determine that sort of thing difficulty it's so subjective but the principle there is that it suggests that his average assignment was very low difficulty yeah so maybe isn't a 91 overall player right now he just isn't like that's if he was the rams would still be paying him even with them trying to like that's like a an anchor player him yeah or you know at least try to trade trade him him. yeah some team would be that's trying to win now i'd be like oh give me that give me a three down linebacker you know what i'm saying it's just not who he is right now but it can still work so it's interesting how he's not a three down linebacker in the conventional sense and that is kind of a uh with how much the league passes three downs not really what it used to be especially at the linebacker position but in the kind of abnormal sense or the atypical sense he is almost a three down linebacker in that like okay he can play downhill and he can sniff out the run he can still beat blocks uh he's pretty good at doing that but also then on the third downs like what you when you talk three down the third down we're talking about defending the pass then he can add a bit more in your, you know, he can be a part of a blitz package. He can even just be a rusher and find a way to get him the right matchup. So he, he can yeah. still contribute to all phases in a different way to what you might expect. And like, if he wants to have a longer career, which, you know, he's had a great career, he's made a lot of money, he represents himself. So credit to him there as well. Kind of leaning on his ability to, to beat a guard in close quarters as a pass rusher, they're, you know, that is a real area that he could, is, you know, you, you feel he could maximize that more, I think. Uh, he could make yeah. more. I mean, uh, I've always thought that he could have had a, a second life as a Melvin Ingram type pass rusher. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. All over the line type of guy. If, if that was actually what he did, I mean, there are edge rushers right now that have his composition. There are a few of them, but they exist. So, yeah. So, this is an interesting question. Mark Reeves, thank you for your donations, Mark. Um, and Oh, and thank you for the kind words as well. Mark Reeves asked, perfect scenario to fix linebacker this offseason. Well, I'd have said you, you kind of needed to re-sign Barton, uh, and then you'd have needed to fix the interior of the defensive line. And they haven't done either of those. But right now where they're situated, Wagner is a stopgap and Bush is a stopgap. Bush is like a kind of 
low cost flyer like if it pans out then amazing uh and obviously there's potential there and the fact that you know he was such a high draft pick like he was such a high draft pick for a reason maybe they can untap him they can they can find a way to to get him to fulfill what he you know promised early on but really they can't they can't fix linebacker any more than they have done at this point like the draft class is pretty bleak from what we've seen like please do suggest names jack campbell maybe they consider him because of how they're playing like if he's like the kind of downhill dude but and, and like smart and, and reading out the play and, and playing the run as like an early down thumper but like in terms yeah, i don't really like the idea of that in terms of the ceiling and the, like, the, the... we we like the coverage the guys you can add coverage stuff too but the way the game is going is you either have like a jack campbell who runs at a four seven well he 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 looks like he runs a four seven he actually ran a, a bit quicker than that um and you know he stops a run he's a bigger body and he he has short arms but he can take on guards and win leverage against guard and smack them around or you have basically guys who are really light and coverage guys and basically what safeties used to be which again something uh schneider spoke about where you have right. like uh a day on henley who's like 220 pounds and you don't really want him taking on a guard necessarily but he can slip a guard because he's agile but in coverage, he's like astonishingly good, especially like man to man. Like he still could learn some of the uh, principles of zone and, and matching. But man to man, he's incredible. Uh, or you you get the big nickel stuff, and you you know like name people are hyping up at the moment. It's Marte Mapu out of the draft. We'll also talk about uh, the comments that Seattle made at the owners meeting uh, regarding Julian Love. But like. Griff, in terms of fixing linebacker this offseason, as Mark asked, I don't think, I'm not sure what they could, like they can take a fly on one of these draft guys, which I'm sure they'll do, but there isn't like that clear, yeah. like is Henley that? I mean, if you're going to take a swing on someone, you, you probably go that direction, but I feel like they've backed themselves into a corner here and they can't go linebacker on the first two days of their draft. Maybe the the bottom of the third um for for two different reasons one they're so depleted on the interior they went into this draft and now they can still make some signings don't get me wrong they went into this draft needing to improve the ceiling players but now the way free agency's gone they could still use another ceiling player or two even the more the merrier but then they also kind of need to get the floor back up and that's kind of like a lot of high quality defensive tackles are taken in the third round every year. They get you 400 to 600 snaps and they don't become pro bowlers, but they become good players. They might need to snag two of those guys this year. Um, if they can't bring back Shelby Harris or, um, or, or Puna Ford. Um, so I feel like they're going to have to allocate a lot of their, their picks at other positions away from linebacker. It really feels like, you know, spending on the combination of Bush and Bobby that they really didn't plan on drafting linebacker early, like that they are indeed stopgap options. And then the best way to smooth that out for the sake of the team is like we talked about with how they manage their their sub packages and stuff and manage snap counts. Um, but then the other side of it is that, and this is another argument for having paying Cody because you just embrace what you have is because 
the weak side linebacker is not a high snap position, so it doesn't merit investing super highly in it anymore. Like the way they scheme, they can't they can't justify spending maybe even a second round pick on a will, no matter how good he is, because they're you, like you you have to play your your nickel bear package if you want to be good in the NFL. If you're going to be a three four team, you have to have its nickel complement and. There are just you have to play that package. Nothing to do with what you think of your will, but just because of that's it's formational stuff. It's it's other things, other considerations. So because of that, no matter how good your will is, he's not going to be a thousand snap player like your Mike is. He might be a seven hundred fifty snap player, but like that's it's just you don't have, um, or maybe even less than that. It's just I don't think you can merit investing that high on a guy that you can't play as much. And that's a different conversation at linebacker than it is for like defensive linemen where 700 snaps is almost the most you want them playing. Cause you'll grind them into dust. Otherwise, if you play them a thousand snaps routinely. Um, so I don't know. I feel like they have to look, they have to be third round draft pick um, third round linebacker drafters. Now from here on out, pretty much granted Cody Bartman's a third round pick. So Henley feels like he should be a third or fourth round pick, but, the cupboards are so bare this draft that for linebackers that can really run and not just run, but we're shown to do things in coverage. That's the problem with evaluating college linebackers. So few of them are asked to do in college, what they will need to do in the NFL. And that's why there's so many of them are projections. So I don't know, maybe there's some other guy that they really like. They just see the traits there and they think they can coach it up. And with, you know, the linebacker situation seemingly being settled for now. And again, the safeties and everything, maybe, you know, year one, there won't be any stress on them to perform right away. Yeah. Um, but they are in a tough spot from like last draft. They, there was an interesting amount of like day two to day three, like late day two to day three dudes who, you know, could, could have contributed. Uh, they could have drafted one of them. They didn't. And then with their decision to kind of, well, with Barton's decision to leave, but also Seattle's decision to obviously not give her an offer, which was enough to to sway him in the quick fire of uh, the way those guys flew off the board. They just don't have like the proper planning at a position. And then Jordan Brooks's ACL injury compounds that. Uh, right. So it's it's unfortunate. It finally on the linebackers. Uh, Schneider said how uh, Bush is an explosive player who will come downhill when a guard is pulling and just strike that dude. He's heavier than Cody. Cody's more like run and hit, but this guy is like he just feels heavier at the point of attack. Now, I feel like that's because Bush is like five foot eleven, which helps him. He has natural leverage. Pad level. And 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 the the density naturally is going to going to be higher. But um, I mean, yeah. the one of his problems at Michigan was I mean he liked to come downhill. But that doesn't mean that you like he could blow a guy up if he tees him up right. But like stacking and shedding, he doesn't is if if people weren't couldn't tolerate Cody Barton, then they're not going to tolerate Devin Bush doing the same thing. He just doesn't. The guys that can do that at linebacker routinely are very rare. Like like we're spoiled by Brooks, Bobby, and KJ at, at that aspect. Like very few of them exist really so much and this is the other thing like i post examples on twitter of the the rams which was rare being out leveraged schematically against certain runs and bobby wagner is getting blocked by tackles and tight ends and he 
even if he gets off the block, it makes no material difference to the outcome of the play because they're out schemed. Like Cody Barton, the, the, when he was on the field and they schemed what I ascertained to be as soundly, their numbers were very good. Not even not bad, but they were very good. The linebackers last year were in a complete car wreck where, or as I'd say, car crash, where they're playing in front of a 2-4, they're playing in front of two defensive linemen who, one, aren't very good at the the gap and a half, uh, playing heavy to a guard technique, and two, they're getting the type of runs which destroy that front, however good those people are, and that's Darren Donald. And so it's just it's it's not going to matter how much this hypothetical linebacker replacement does at those sorts of things if they don't fix the scheme. It will all be for naught. He might look less helpless on tape, but the result will be the same. It will be a 12-yard run where they scamper out of bounds running behind their lead blocker. And yeah, Bobby Wagner got down blocked and he can't do anything. Yeah, he he doesn't look as helpless against it, but he's still not making the play because it's just it really starts at the scheme with with, with the, this. So, not to rant too much, but the two four five last year against standard runs like just zone, zone split zone and duo, the Seahawks in this two four five front that we are ruining, they ranked seventeenth in the league against that. That is totally respectable. It's not that, good. That duo number is slightly surprising. It's it, yeah, maybe, but I feel like they had a lot of those runs go for like four or five yards just no yeah explosives. i'm just thinking like how i've seen like for instance denver struggle in the same front against duo yeah it, it's not ideal for it but like the point is that when there's no moving parts i think that reflects yeah. that they actually do have a, a talent level to defend what they're schematically situated for it's all the gap scheme runs or the pull schemes that eviscerated yeah. them giving up like eight yards per carry against gap schemes and it's all schematic like whiteboard this is a beater this is a beater. That's a beater. If the players would have to utterly dominate every rep to, to defeat that, like every single player. And if your scheme only works where every single player dominates their rep, then you have a bad scheme or the way you're applying your scheme is not optimal. Mm -hmm. So, um, so uh, uh, transitioning back from scheme to personnel, we, you know, we mentioned defensive linemen. You sort of mentioned it in your answer about the linebackers. Uh, Pete Carroll spoke about Puna Ford. He said, hopefully we can keep talking. We'd love to have him back. We need him to come back. John Schneider spoke about Brian Monet. He was very uh, cautious about that too. Sounded very uh, downbeat about that. He said, doo, 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 let's find the... Uh, it's going to be a second half of the season. See how he's doing. It's a bad injury. Big man, bad injury. It sucks. He's a great kid. So Monet basically yeah. out of the pictures in those tackle. Schneider said how Jaron Reed expected potentially to play nose tackle, which sort of speaks yeah. to the fact that they do not have a nose tackle, <laughs> which is comical. And uh, it's so funny. You just, I'm not, it doesn't hurt. I was fine. I'm not, I'm not scared. Uh, and then Pete Carroll mentioned how, uh, there's a lot of work to do still. We know that. We're faced now with different circumstances to deal with just because we've spent a lot of money already and all of that. But we have a lot of work to do. We have a couple of great spots for guys, nose tackle, three technique, who want to come here. I, I added the nose tackle on three technique. This will be more of a recruiting process than anything, and I'll need the players to really help us on that as well as the coaches. Reading in between the lines, they don't have any money, so they basically need players to beg other players to 
sign for nothing, sign for peanuts. Don't go to a different team who's going to pay you more money. Come to Seattle for the culture. Um, we've got some spots that we need to fill, and they're going to be crucial. I'm hoping some guys will see that this is a great opportunity for them to come in and be part of something really good. Schneider said, it's coming along. It's definitely coming along. We definitely need three or four more guys that we need to help out on that oh, side. Man. I mean, <laughs> seeing three or four. guys we've added, I'm really happy about it. I mean, three or four is probably a bit of the draft as well, but. Uh, right. Like so, some of those are going to be the draft. The thing is like you need, it, they can't all be like the, 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 the quote unquote, the plan can't all be in the draft. That's just unrealistic because even if you draft four guys that you like rookies are rookies, they're a total Pandora's box year one. Like you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. So you can't have, you can't have four rookies playing 500 snaps on your each yeah, and I wondered, Griff, on Plus, that point, on like defensive line, it's just. I, I wondered, like you know, are they are they massively inspired by their success with playing rookies at corner, playing rookies at offensive tackle, and they're like, yeah, we'll just we'll just give it a go. Well, because... from, from 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 a long term angle, sure, like, but but you're not. What what is Geno's contract then? If if you're not, right. you have to be able to win now and win tomorrow. Mm. You can't just. Issue... My issue with that approach as well is like last year, yeah, they had two rookies at offensive tackle, but they also had uh, Stone Forsyth as a backup left tackle. True. And they had Jake Curhan as a backup right tackle. Corner-wise... Quality they, fallback options. Yeah, you know. corner-wise, they had Sidney Jones, who was really good last uh, 2021 playing left corner. And then right Artie corner, Burns. they had Artie Burns, who, again, solid vet. Now... The nose tackle market is completely dried up. There maybe someone will get released, but like, <laughs> the, and then Schneider said we're pretty tapped out. Talking about the salary cap, we have to be very careful how we proceed. <laughs> I don't, I don't really see how you, you and you can't rely on a, a rookie. It's pretty scary. Like I'm trying not to panic about it. You know, there are if... moves which can be made, but like they're kind of. Uh, they're kind of not done very well here. They like they, they desperately need Puna Ford to return. And and he, he can kill two birds with one stone because he's just another guy that fills snaps that has a high floor, but then also it fills the nose tackle need. So he can kind of be your de facto Al Woods and Brian Monet replacement. And then you go draft a nose tackle that you like. Now they have been connected to some nose tackles, and we'll talk about them when we get into our interior defensive line, you know, tape. Um, breakdown but um it's you you want to have a hedge you don't want to have two rookie nose tackles i mean i just don't like it um jaron reed i really don't want i hope we don't have to see him at nose tackle really um well, even though he's he started his Re career as a one technique but he did but reed is also his his technique last year was awful he looked done against yeah. the run now maybe they're they well they're clearly banking on them being able to Reharness that obviously Clint Hurts a fan of him maybe things were dodgy in Green Bay at the end for Reed and they didn't see eye to eye but like that's like a no by no means is that a, a certain thing and he signed for fairly cheap when you break it down like they kind of they've gone cheap at defensive line other than Draymond Jones and we'll, 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 we'll basically Quentin Jefferson Al Woods Puna Ford Shelby Harris all paid for Draymond Right, which um, we'll, we'll talk about him in a second. But, like, in doing that, like, 
they've got rid of their floor. The floor's gone. They the don't floor is have, gone. They don't have... And, and with the caveat as well... Well, not the caveat. The point that these defensive linemen who, okay, they struggled last year, but when they were put in the right dramatic situations, yeah. Yeah. like the context of that, they were really good against the run. They were good run defenders. Not No... Like every league wide, people struggle in the schematic situations that they were placed in, and the balance and the bad mix that Seattle had, and the mix that that you know the coaching staff speaking about getting better schematically, you know, having a better mix, having a better balance to defend the run. In the meantime, the front office got rid of all these all these guys, and they don't have anyone to to sign. They've run, they're running out of resources. Uh, so Draymond Jones, obviously, they they went big for him. Now, we said at the time, we, we thought that was so that they could uh, get a guy who takes shots and, and takes chances. And more than like being a pass rusher and being effective at three tech, which P. Cowell mentioned in, in the owners meeting he, he was a fan of. But more than that, he has versatility to do other things as well. And we spoke about how it was his ability to win kind of from unexpected spots, to take his shot, to take chances, to penetrate and to wreck plays from uh, areas where you wouldn't really expect it to happen. And that's exactly what Pete said. He said, I go back and keep giving Michael Bennett a little shout here. When Mike was with us, he was a real factor. He caused people problems. And he didn't cause people problems just by basic fundamental technique he played, but by the other aspects of the game that he brought. And Draymond has a variety of things. His expertise in using his body and movement and willingness to take a shot and take chances shows that he's got a knack that goes beyond a lot of other players. And so I think he's going to add a tremendous amount. He's going to enhance the relationships with the speed guys that we have on the edge. And the more factor they have to play off of him, the more opportunity and spacing it creates for the other guys. I think it's going to fit really, really well. I love the kid. He's serious, loves the game has a really good mentality about studying it, working and all that. So that's going to fit in and our guys are going to love him. So that is, you know, they, they wanted this kind of X factor to be a disruptor. And I think Jamon Jones at his best is that, especially, especially like taking shots versus the run, getting into the, the backfield against like play action, pass protection, you know, winning late in pass protection, uh, reps to to get late pressure or or say like as a long drop back or play action drop back winning late to get pressure in the face and speed that process up yeah uh, he is that and like you you posted the um you replied to my tweet with the clip of michael bennett uh closing the bubble of, of an over front maybe i think jones maybe the plan is also to you know carol spoke about committing differently on, on defense this year and not having two outside linebacker types necessarily. The plan might be for Jones to play some wide nine tech, and then t if he can take a shot inside to get into the open B gap and and shoot into the backfield, playoff people. Because you you post a clip of Michael Bennett, and that's that. and and that's when they're playing. They're like they're 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 two forward four two five nickel front, right? Like beef it up, and so, so like you would you would yeah. reserve that personnel grouping within that package. For like well, you know earlier downs where you want to be a nickel but still be more sound for the run. Well, and what's cool about that Griff is that would then technically be a three three five. So then in theory you could get into your from that look your three three five, uh, bear, where you then have Jones reduced down to enable the big nickel to cover down on the slot. Jones play the four eye, 
Um, and then you, you you bump everyone along. You can play in middle field open stuff. And you could even have Jamal Adams as this, the, if you needed it, Jamal Adams play as the second wide nine edge to get into the bare front look if you wanted five down. But you can also play like the kind of mint stuff where you have Jones as that four, you have a shade to him, and then you have uh, Adams covering down on the slot or maybe Julian Love. Um, so that's cool. Uh, interesting also, Shania said they didn't think they'd have a shot at... Um, didn't have a chance at uh, Jamont Jones. We thought his market would be even stronger than it ended up being. And quite honestly, we got in later in on the day. It just kind of happened. We had been in contact early in the day and been working on something else that kind of led to that. That was probably Zach Allen, which implies Zach Allen was their first choice. But, you know, all good. They, they... Schneider just characterized him as a big, long three technique and a guy that can be an inside pass rusher with length. We were playing against Calais Campbell in Arizona for so long. But like, Draymond Jones is not that. He is more of like a kind of five tech. Uh, like his his uh, he's kind of outside inside inside outside. He's not um, he's not got the size of a Claire's Campbell. But uh, that transitions nicely to the Julian Love signing. Now we said at the time again, we're kind of patting ourselves on the back here. We just allow it. We said at the time that Julian Love was probably more of like a big nickel type, like a 3-3-5, to enable them to do a bit more of the kind of stuff where, okay, Kobe Bryant is great. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll said he has the potential to be one of the best nickels in the league and will be that, uh, told me that in Germany. But you don't want him... Uh, so, so you're fine with him covering a slot, but you don't want him having against certain formations, certain flanks, having to set the edge or get involved in a run fit as much. Remember, Ugo Amadi, uh, he didn't have to set the edge, but he did get brought into the run fit, but he did have a safety background. And Ugo was kind of more of a safety nickel, even though he was small. Kobe Bryant's more of a corner nickel. Um, the other thing as well with, with Julian Love thing is well, with, with the with the Kobe Bryant and nickel thing, now they're running the, the the bare front and the way that they do it in middle field open where they could use the nickel as a second edge against certain flanks. That's what I mean by setting the edge. Kobe Bryant is not a fit there. But Julian Love could maybe free Jamal Adams to do that. I think he would be okay doing that in a pinch. He's more of that kind of type. And Schneider confirmed, he said, the Julian thing had nothing to do with Jamal Adams. It's great if Jamal can't go right away that we've got a guy, damn good player. But yeah, that wasn't a statement on Jamal Adams. And Pete Carroll said, I know there's some conversation like what we did with Julian. Does that have some impact on Jamal or Quandre? Quandre, it doesn't. We have a clear thought of what we're going to do with our guys and how we want to play them. We feel very fortunate to have all our guys. And he said, he, he, Carol said they'll play together a lot more than 25% of the time. That's Adams, Diggs, and Love. That also includes Dime, where you have three safeties out there and it's clear passing downs. But that implies to me that the base defense this year is going to be now they need a nose tackle, but I think they're thinking a 3 3 5 that can adapt into an over the 2 4 5 look, the over G look. But also they can play bear out of it, um, and and obviously there's subs as well. But yeah, Griff, you haven't spoke for a while. 
Um, yeah, well, the uh, the love thing, like he's not. I, I guess like yeah, he's a he's a big nickel type. He's really even though he's like not super heavy in a cover three system, he's more so like the strong safety type. He can play over the slot, but more so on tight ends. Or he can play over a receiver, but never with like a man up assignment, more like an inside leverage or maybe outside leverage matching, but in a too high system. So he has immediate safety help, right? Like like with Ugo Amadi, like the Ugo Amadi brand of nickel. Uh, but I guess the question is, do you, do you see there being any hope for him being the type of corner that can play cover one man coverage in the slot on a speedy slot receiver? No. Yeah. So they still don't have that guy. I mean, Kobe is supposed to be that, that guy, but I don't... I don't know if that guy exists anymore. That's very true. And in a too high world, do you perhaps... Now, all these Fangio teams, they like to play cover one. Whenever When they have good cover one personnel, they play a lot of it. So it's kind of a weird state that they're in. Yeah, and we, we should say as well with, with Love, like, if you look at the college teams... Griffey's and theorized the possibility of uh, Tariq Woolen moving into the star role, like the nickel role, the, the slot role, because the college teams at like Alabama, Georgia, their best athlete is this nickel type, because it's like, it, or what they call the star, because it's like, because the guy of... who comes down to the passing strength, he has to be able to cover down on a slot and do a bit of coverage, but he also has to be able to set an edge from a kind of yes. apex position. Yes. And he also has to fit into the run. So that is like literally, uh, you know, your best player because they play in so, so much space. They have so many different things on their plate. And you, you sh- and the better they are, the more versatile you can be with them and the more versatile you can be in your whole front structure. So they, they make so, the whole the whole thing work. Right. So but because offenses are basically forcing defenses to find slot defenders that can defend the run, that's kind of taking the classic man slot cover one guy out of the equation because those guys are 5'9", 5'10", mm-hmm. 170, 180, 185 pounds. Yeah. So it's kind and of like the the run game has phased that guy and out of the league. And you can't play cover one. And then you can't play cover one. And so it's interesting how we're seeing in a very indirect way the run game impacting how you roster, thus impacting how you can defend on passing downs. Um, yeah, dang. That's all the more reason why the run matters, folks. Yeah, the run like, does matter. Th- there are there are no more Walter Thurmans. There are no more um, Justin Coleman's. Rip. You know, that's actually kind of crazy. They play outside now. They play outside now. That's right. So... And and if they don't have the body to bang with a guy on the outside, then you cloud it. You're too high. Or, it's too high league, yeah. so you cloud it. Or they become a safety. Or like they become a safety. safety. That's crazy, man. Wild. So, finally, on the safeties, uh, Pete Carroll, ever optimistic, said it sounds really good on Jamal Adams's injury. They sent some trainers out ten days ago to. Well, now it's a few more days ago uh, to go see Jamal Adams in Texas. Um, Sounds like he's doing great. He's pushing it. He's going to try bust whatever projections that would keep him from not being ready for the start of the season. However, Pete didn't go out and say that he, you know, he'll be ready for the start of camp. Um, he said that's not what the doctors are saying. They're being more open, allowing more room to see what happens. 
So we'll have to see if Jamal Adams. But like good good news that it's a positive, I guess. And finally, on the O line, sounded like they knew that Austin Blythe was going to retire because apparently when they signed him. It, the, the first time round, apparently he's, he was considering his career then. So they always knew in the back of their mind. And so the Evan Brown addition is a really good thing um, for, for Seattle that they, they got that done. He was like obviously a priority guy heading into free agency. They got him signed. They got him a center. So excellent. That is the owner's meeting. It's also noteworthy that Draymond, uh, not Draymond, <laughs> It's also noteworthy that Jody Allen attended the Seahawks owner. She attended the the festivities. She was part of the owners' meeting, and she lent her private plane to Pete Carroll and John Schneider to go to all the quarterback pro days, which Carroll said Gino's been cool. He's fine with them doing so. That's all so wholesome, and it's funny seeing all these selfies. And I'm sure we'll get an Anthony Richardson selfie. Just like we got a selfie of Will Levis with the Seahawks uh, decision makers, CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. Griff, do you have anything more to add on the Seattle Seahawks? If I was uh, in those meetings with the quarterbacks, you know, you know, when you ask them off the wall questions, I'd ask them if any of them have even heard the name Mel Brooks before. And then right. if they did, I'd say, "What's your favorite Mel Brooks movie?" Oh. I feel like I feel like Spaceballs exists in the. The cultural zeitgeist enough like it's a there's a common denominator there there like everyone's heard space balls um i've never seen it but you've heard of it right yeah vaguely is it good yeah it's pretty funny it's a star wars spoof oh that sounds right yeah i mean i think i would not be drafted by the seahawks based on this like if, if the mel brooks thing was there consideration it sounds if I was like in I'd charge. done for now what if what if what if someone started like answering and like found like they're like obsessed with mel brooks movies and like, they couldn't talk about anything else in the interview and like scared them off because they were they went too far in that direction yeah potentially i'd just stand on the table and be like i'm an aries i'm the best player in the draft mm. no i would do that yeah i thought no, of it first actually right all right, everyone, like the video, subscribe to the channel, comment down below. Thanks for tuning in. Download the podcast, follow it. I just realized on Spotify, for instance, which is one of these podcast apps, you have to follow the podcast to subscribe to it. I'm very tech savvy. Uh, follow Griff on Twitter at CMikeSpinMove. Follow me at Matty F. Brown. Follow Ty, our producer, at Dane Gunzelers. We appreciate you. The, we'll we'll have an episode on the tweeners in the draft. We'll explain what a tweener is, and we'll have an episode on that probably tomorrow, maybe Friday. Depends how we're doing with time. And we'll keep this ship rolling. A ship does not roll. We could roll, but that'd probably be a problem. 